fabulous, dear Spilling Chai listeners. How is everyone? Welcome to the final episode of season three, coming to you from Washington, DC. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain. When I was thinking about who we should have as the last guest for our season finale, only one person came to my mind, Bilal Qureshi. He was not only our very first guest on the first episode of the first season of Spilling Chai, but is also the father of this podcast. Of course, Bilal has many other accomplishments too. Bilal is a broadcaster, essayist, and critic. His radio interviews and reporting have aired across NPR's flagship news magazines. His writing and criticism is published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, and Newsweek. Bilal was born in Kohat, Pakistan, and grew up in Richmond, Virginia. He graduated with high distinction from the University of Virginia and earned an MS in Broadcast Journalism from Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Bilal was producer, editor, and reporter for NPR's flagship news magazine, All Things Considered. In addition to covering daily news, he oversaw long-form reporting series on immigration and identity in Europe, contemporary Islamic art, and the nuclear fallout line between India and Pakistan. Bilal was awarded NPR's Kroc Fellowship for Emerging Journalists in 2007. He speaks German, Hindi, Urdu, Punjabi, and intermediate Spanish. <laughs> but more importantly, he is my intellectual soulmate and one of my best friends in the universe. Hello and welcome back to the show, Bilal. Many of you might know him from NPR or The Washington Post, but a lot of you might also know him from the very, very first episode of Spilling Chai. He is one of my dearest, dearest friends, and I think it's very poignant and appropriate that he is the season three finale guest. Hello and welcome to the show, Bilal. Hello and thank you, Anusha, and congratulations on three seasons of Spilling Chai. I remember when we first discussed this idea I don't know where it was, but it was probably over some kind of actual chai that had nothing to do with spilled chai. It was a boozy. It must, I feel like it must have been a boozy day drinking lunch, but I also feel like it might have been my 40th birthday party right before the world changed January of 2020. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, we've talked over time about you and your interest in radio and, and having come up working in radio and in podcasting in my career, I remember always thinking, you have to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it. And... I'm just like so excited about how much of it you've done and all the people that you've spoken to. And, you know, we initially even, for full disclosure, talked about maybe we should co-host a show and do something together. And then the pandemic happened and I had to move somewhere else and all of our lives became insular and personal and we all were digging into ourselves. So I don't think that would have necessarily worked. And it didn't, obviously, but I also just love what you've built. And I don't know, I think it's just so wonderful that you've been able to have conversations about our world in this crazy transformative time. Thank God I had the podcast. You know, I say this um, a lot. I think it kept me sane. It gave me structure, which is something so important, you know, when you're, when you're a freelancer. I want this conversation, though, to be about us because you are really the father of spilling chai. <laughs> what we thought it was going to be and where it is now, as you've said, is so different. But at the same time, I want to talk to you about this world that you know so well. You know, I feel like we live in such a visual time and my work is so visual, but you kind of brought me into your world, which is really about context and substance. 
Do you feel like when we initially were talking about doing a podcast or even me having a podcast, it wasn't like you could just do your own podcast. You needed like a studio. You needed someone who had the equipment. You needed like a sponsor. It was going to be like a big thing. Do you feel like in the past year, podcasts have been like democratized? Democratized. Democratized. English is my second language, guys. It comes out every now and then. You know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, it's not just democratized. I think in a lot of ways we were all put into so many limitations by this last year and a half, obviously, like very major structural limitations. And, you know, I I know a lot of friends were calling people that they really wanted to talk to, having long calls. You know, we, we've been used to like texting each other, liking each other's things on social media. But I think for a lot of people, this was also a year of like having some long conversations with folks. And that is radio already. That's podcasts already. That's kind of what the medium is. And I think it's both technologically, it became very obvious, you know, look at remote working, that the learning curve has been so steep. People have learned all kinds of things. Like workplaces have gotten democratized. The idea of office work has gotten democratized. So I see it as part of just like all these skills that people have just had to pivot to use. But I also think something about what a podcast is, which is a conversation between two people I think for many people, this has been a time of conversations and, and there's so much to talk about, right? So much to talk about not only what's happening in the world, but what's happening within each of us. How are we changing? How are we transforming? To me, those have always been the best subjects for radio and recorded conversations because they're not quick hits. They're not TV yes. bites. You know, those are kind of discussions that need time and need time to breathe. And, and I think that this medium seems seems really right for that. And, and you know, you could write about it. You could certainly, and, and many people have written about the experience and, and will write about, about it. But I think hearing people think this through made a lot of sense. And so I, I feel that, yeah, it's a combination of technical and editorial that seemed to make this really feel like the year of the podcast. The year of the podcast. I love that. Um, coming into this world, and it is its own world. And I kind of felt like a fraud. I mean, talking about having imposter syndrome, because I didn't listen to that many podcasts and and I still don't. But I had Pete Dominic on the show a couple of weeks ago and he said something. So I was like, why do people listen to podcasts? What is this? What is this world about? And he said that people are really lonely and they like to learn things. What do you think is different from the audience from the podcast that kind of sets it apart from any other medium? You know, I came up working at NPR's All Things Considered, which is the show that I've worked on most of my career. Yeah, and that's where I started. And I think at that time, you know, there was this idea that radio journalism or recorded sound journalism, if we're going to call it that, was kind of like presenter presents a news story. And it's it's kind of given in that sort of, you know, authoritative, anchory kind of voice. And, and there is a sort of like, you know, for example, NPR, which for many people was maybe the first time they heard radio reporting or radio interviews had this kind of formal, you know, dispatch kind of quality about it. I think the audience for podcasts is different because the audience for that is not looking for third person journalistic kind of like professor quality, yes. right? They're Tell looking, they're, they're not looking for, a, a, I think there, there is a desire for more connection. And I think the podcast hosts who people really return to, there is that kind of returning to a familiar friend, a, a voice that you know. I, I always feel like when you turn on a podcast and, you know, it's it's 30 minutes or 20 minutes or however long it is, you're inviting somebody into your home. 
and and they're in your kind of sonic like living room, you know, or in your ears, which is a very intimate place to have somebody. So it's it's like really somebody is whispering sweet nothings or hopefully sweet somethings into your ear, you know. And and I think that so to me, you're right. I mean, it's not only that people are lonely, but I think this year how many of us felt so lonely and. I think you wanted to hear the voice of a familiar friend or the voice of a familiar host or someone who's thinking you enjoy or their personality you enjoy and and somebody's voice and and their thinking in their voice really is so intimate. You know, we all we talked about that I think in the first episode, the intimacy of it. I think I think intimacy is about the absence of loneliness, it's about connection and I think I think that is what people have really gravitated toward. And I have noticed, you know, that coming from a radio journalism perspective, when one is podcasting, it is about more vulnerability. It is about more openness. It's about writing and thinking and speaking that's more personal. Like, it's not about having an anchor voice. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, a, it's about connecting to your audience and knowing your audience. Well, I know you hate talking about yourself, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spill all the tea on Bilal in the... <laughs> When he's not listening. Um, but you have produced, you know, some of the most important and really the standard for quality journalism and radio in America, which is NPR. But during the course of the of last year, especially early on in the pandemic, you are so used to producing other people and, you know, writing other people's words. But you launched your own show, Lockdown Diaries. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I have to say that I give a lot of the credit for it also to the inspiration that you've always given me on building and kind of having your own voice and how important it is to have your own voice also. I mean, I think we, in a lot of our careers and in a lot of our lives, have responsibilities to other people and do things for other people and our and our employers or other people in our lives. You know, you're also a mother and we can sometimes hear your children in the background. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you know, we all have responsibilities and, and, and things that we have to do. I think that to me, though, my experience of the lockdown or the pandemic, like everyone's felt so personal and, and internal. And I knew that I wanted to think about it out loud and, and talk to some people about how, what they were experiencing. And it didn't set out, start out as anything like wanting to make a show and have like, and mic, mic drop and like make it rain on the podcast, you know, in the podcast sort of industry. It was really just kind of about wanting to see if I could record some of those conversations we were having. And I also think it was about the specific vulnerability of the very last weekend of March and the first week of April of 2020. And I recorded six conversations in that week with people that I've always loved talking to and thinking out loud. You know, an artist I really love from New Delhi, who's a photographer, uh, you know, a friend who's a philosopher and a historian of Islamic history, people who whose thinking I've always really admired, but who are also friends and with whom I felt like we could be vulnerable together, tender together, think out loud together in that very specific moment when, frankly, it felt like none of us knew what was happening. None of us had any idea. All we were getting were mixed messages from our governments, wherever we were. Fear. Fear. Um, it felt like everything, everybody was standing at the edge of some canyon. And so in that tender moment, to use that word again, I just felt like, you know, I'm, I have my recorder. I have a, you know, a Skype account. You have the time. <laughs> I have the time. I have nothing else to do. I don't even know if there's going to be any journalism after this. Is there even going to be like anything at all? So I just recorded it. And, you know, 
I think the thing that was amazing was it also became this exercise in doing something really personal and in doing something that was intimate. And um, I wanted it to be really different from my reporting. I, I knew I wanted it to be much more open and raw. And yeah, those, those six things, six conversations, I turned into this sort of series I call Lockdown Diaries. Taking a lead from you, I came up with like this title, came up with a cover image, you know, simple things to just kind of make sure that you also get it out to people. Yeah. You know, what blew me away was that somehow I feel like it, it magically found an audience and people listen to it and organically. organically, yeah, magically, organically. And I even, you know, found that there were people who I had no idea who I, who didn't, I didn't know who were sending me sort of notes about it. And, and it, it doesn't matter that the number, right? It was that feeling that you connected with someone in the moment when other people were also feeling disconnected. And I think that that whole project for me reminded me, even something maybe I had forgotten in a long career in radio, that at its best, our medium and our work should be about connection. Yeah. And it really shouldn't be about like only measuring the numbers, but a kind of somebody really spending time with your ideas and your thinking. So, I mean, all that to say that, I, you know, your project inspired me a lot. Other people who were thinking that way, but also, you know, I, I know how to make these things and, you know, I know how to record and, and I've done that. I think there's many people who know how to do it. It's just that because I had worked in it, I thought, like anyone, you know, we all have our, our skills that we have. And what if you sometimes took some of them and applied it to yourself and, yes. and didn't just give them to other people, but like made them about yourself. So for me, it became this moment of, of almost giving myself that gift. And I'm really grateful for it because when I hear that show, which I, I sort of wrapped up once that period kind of ended because I felt like it's now like a photo album or like a sound album of that moment, a journal of that time. And it's six really substantive interviews and conversations and a friend who's a musician let me have some music for the credits and, and we were able to kind of give it some shape. And I, I feel like they're really, they're a digest I'm going to really be grateful for because I'm sure I was not alone in feeling like that time was so confusing and disorienting. One of the most important things that you taught me or you kind of directed me towards before even starting the podcast was the quality of the sound. This is a lot more a, a technical question, but I almost underestimated it. And you know, it's very rare where Bilal will kind of put his foot down. And he was like, no, we can't work with these people if they are not serious about their sound quality. Now I understand, oh my God, the podcast, all about the sound quality. It's almost non-negotiable. Talk to me about why that's so important because of this medium. Well, you know, I mean, you're a writer and you have your book coming out. And I think anyone who's a serious writer recognizes that like, you know, I mean, I hate to, I don't know if we can say this, but like you don't put chicken shit out into the world. No, you, you know, you don't put sentences that are unformed and unframed yeah, and typos. typos. Like you just you clean, you know, clean copy is a term that's used in yeah. print journalism a lot. And I've had so many print editors over the years say to me how much they appreciate clean copy from writers and how often they don't get that. I think it's similar. We use the term, you know, for, for that, clean for audio, audio, clean audio, like, you know, or not even that, just like, I think. What do you call bad audio? Dirty audio? No, you don't call it dirty. I think, <laughs> it, it. and you know, I think being dirty is fine sometimes. I, ju I just think that. <laughs> you know he does. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think that, I think the more important point is that it is about 
you know, not having glitches and, and like bad recordings. And I think that's one of those things that makes me feel like I really think people should use this medium. They should record conversations that they cherish. They should interview people if they wish to do that. But like anything, you know, that you do, I do think some craft is really important and, and being respectful of what that requires and making the time for it. And I think, you know, a lot of people learn that, right? I mean, I think in the pandemic, the rise of kind of Zoom interviews or Zoom meetings, you know, we can tell when people take a little bit of an effort about their background and when they're just kind of like rolled out of bed, out of bed and, and have the camera pointing in the direction of the sun. Like it's just, it's like small things that actually I think it's not about being OCD about like cleanness or whatever. It's just about frankly giving a shit. Mm -hmm. And and I think what you do when you do that as a maker or creator is you give your audience the better version, the best version of the work that you can. And look, I think one of the things that's been amazing to, to see is that it's not that our technical expectations have dropped. I think we're all much more accepting that we are flawed and that everything's not going to be perfect and everything's not going to be polished. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that the pandemic has hopefully opened up is an opportunity to be more vulnerable and to be more open about how life really feels. You know, your kids are going to be in your house and they're going to make noise. And we are sometimes going to feel like bad. People are going to put on pandemic weight, whatever, whatever. That's all normal. And I think similarly, it's important not to become like an exacting, you know, audio Nazi. But I do think that I, within the limitations that we're dealing with, a few efforts, a, a few things, you know, done to, to make sure you, you are using the best recorder that you can, you're recording in a good environment. Like, I think what you've done with your show is just made it easier for your audience to focus on the conversation, yes. not be distracted by glitches or bad sound. And I think, honestly, most listeners don't even know it, but when you hear something that isn't recorded well or is bad... You don't want to continue listening. You just don't engage with it as deeply. It's almost like, you know, looking at a movie that's out of focus. Yeah. Or something, and you after a while in the movie theater, you just kind of be like, okay, whatever. Something is off in this. But when you experience something that has, you know, somebody has made some effort, I think the best thing about it is that it hopefully just makes it easier for your audience to pay attention to what you want them to pay attention yes. to, which yes. is hopefully the conversation. That is such a nice and poetic and intellectual way to put it. But another yeah. thing that I found is that people don't like shit in their ears. Your it's voice not. is in their ears. It, that is the real physical intimacy, right? You're already, you're in such an intimate space. So I am so grateful. I think about that a lot. And a lot of times when sound issues came up and my last producer, not the amazing Jack who I'm working with now, would be like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, it does. It matters. So ju yeah, just like you said, the quality of your writing, the quality of your work. Well, you know, I mean, I want to just give you a lot of credit, especially as we're doing a finale of your, of your current season, is that... You know, Anusha, you hadn't worked in this before. You started spelling chai in this medium. And I think what I really admire about what you've done or what any people who have created not only podcasts, but have chosen to learn a new skill or, or, really, in, or really explore something that maybe they were always curious about is that you've made such, such an effort and you've made such progress. And you've also made now a body of work yeah. in a medium that's not your original medium. And so I think, I think that speaks to kind of your own willingness to learn. And I think this show's journey, which is, you know, starting from, and I, and I think that's what I love. I love in any creative process, people who just want to try yeah. and, and who want to make the effort. Because I think saying, hey, I want to do a thing, 
but then comes the work that goes with it. And yes. I feel like you did that with this show. Thank you so much for saying that. And the reason I'm like cheering in the background is not only because I like to do that for myself, but because it's so true. I say this to my kids and people all the time. Now with my book coming out, people are always like, how did you do it? How did you do it? And I have a very, very good family friend. I really hope he doesn't listen to this episode. We have such a good old family friend. He's kind of like my second dad. He's my American dad. Anyhow, he has also been trying to, you know, get a book published in the past year. And he keeps coming back to me like, I do it. I self-published. You know, I went to Amazon. And it is so hard. Things are so hard. You have to work so hard. My mom told me this when I was really young, and I'll never forget it. But no one can ever take away hard work from you. I want to come back really quick again to Lockdown Diaries because not only to talk about the amazing roster of guests and what an amazing produced show this was. And, you know, you have like award-winning producer Bilal Qureshi producing his own work, so you can imagine. But one of your first guests I have to show off was Arundhati Roy, which is incredible. But I want to talk about her article in the Financial Times about the pandemic being a portal. I mean, that, that you had her on your show so early on, and that article was so important to the both of us. Obviously, of course, Bilal sent it to me first. But I felt like it was a warning, a crutch, and then also she let us know early on that normal is not coming back. So talk to me about listening to that conversation in the beginning of the pandemic. I was just actually on a trip in Spain, and I saw that there was an, it was an art exhibition that the curator had called Portals, and it was inspired by that yeah. art. And he specifically cited that article. And I've heard now and seen reference to the language of portals. Can you listeners, sorry, some context? I, I will. No, I, I will for sure. And I mean, I, I, the point <laughs> I want to make is that Arundhati Roy is the Indian novelist who wrote The God of Small Things, which won the Booker Prize 20 plus years ago. Also, important person in my relationship with Bilal, even though he's well, never, we were, Well, we were both like great, you know, Obsessed. fans in college of her work. And, and also, you know, like what you do in Ushay too, she's also an essayist and she became a very important political essayist who wrote a lot of nonfiction as well. Her two novels were, it took 20 years between them, but bet between the two novels, she became this renowned global, you know, icon of, of I think, progressive thought and of critical thought about not only India, but about the world, about how we live. I mean, she's got, you know, such important work that she's done. And she really did it like her way. It's so easy when you become that big, right? To become this kind of white, you know, to become absorbed in the white market and how white people want to see you. She really, it's very hard to do what she has done, which is stayed herself. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was really amazing was I remember you know, again, going back to the, those early weeks of the lockdown, I think it's March 15th, 16th, you know, by the, oh. by like 20th, we had a sense of how countries were closing, airports were closing. I had just moved to Dubai, Dubai. and I, and I was in a hotel that got locked up because we, there was a very strict lockdown in the UAE and we weren't allowed to leave our hotels for three weeks. Okay. And so what I, what we could do though, was go to the grocery store next door and I could get the Financial Times weekend, which I, I love reading as a newspaper. And it had on its cover an image of people in India who were, who were, who were refugees suddenly because of the rules that had just come into place in India. All these poor people from cities like Delhi being forced to basically walk in mass home yes. to their villages. And it had produced and what... they were chemically sprayed. Well, Damn. you know, it was, that, it was that early phase when it seemed like 
there were so many crazy things happening suddenly around the world because it yeah. unprecedented, right, what was happening. So, so the, suddenly there's this image and then it has a byline and it's the full front page of the Financial Times, the weekend, I believe it was April 4th, 2020. And it was an essay by Arundhati Roy called The Pandemic is a Portal. And it, I remember just looking at it and like, you know, I was so uh, fuzzy and jet lagged and depressed. depressed. And like, I remember it just jolted me. And that's the thing about writing that really hits the spot, right? It's that it, it jolts it you. It articulates what you have not had the words for and what you know. And I knew that other people, as soon as they read it, were going to feel the same way. Now, as you mentioned, I, I, I know her because she happened to be my neighbor at one point in Delhi. And Which I, happens. It happens. <laughs> it just happens. No, it doesn't. It just happens to belong. Weird. <laughs> you want to know who my neighbor is? <laughs> Well, I mean, this was not meant in any kind of like, but yeah, the point is I, you know, I had the great fortune and somehow kismet in life to be able to have, have, you know, overlapped with her geographically in some way. She lives there. She's, you know, she's based there, but I was there for a few years. And I, that morning after reading The Pandemic is a Portal, I just sent her a note and I said, I really loved your essay that you published. I had no intention of making a podcast, but I said, do you mind if, I asked you to just read some of it into a WhatsApp note. And that was, that was like, I, and I remember being like, after I hit sent on that, I was like, that is the craziest, I think I've gone nuts. And I was like, I think the pandemic has made me crazy. Like who does that? Yeah. Like who says, like, she's just gonna be like, I'm canceling and blocking you on all yeah. platforms. And instead she was like, sure, give me a call. Like you can record, you know, cause I wanted, there was a particular section of the essay that was so beautiful. It's the graph that closes it where she basically said, this pandemic is a portal. And the question that each of us has to ask ourselves is what sort of like, what carcasses of our past are we gonna drag through it? And, or, and what are we gonna leave behind? And are we gonna move into this new world with lighter luggage and only the essential things we want to take with us because we have to build a new future. And yes. I remember that just was so moving. And so I asked her if she would record that section and. She's actually, the thing about her too, is there's like no diva-ness no about her. Her work is about really, I think, connecting with the questions that we all are thinking and she's just gifted to be able to do it. So she did. And frankly, that is what inspired Lockdown Diaries because the pandemic as a portal was the first episode of that series. It was really great that she then was able to talk to me about, I asked her just, you know, how did you decide to write it? Because so many of us, I myself very much included were feeling so lost at that time. And, and I was really just, she said, you know, I was so angry and there was nothing else I could do. I had to just write. And I think it reminded me why it's important sometimes to make work. It's not because you are trying to, again, make it rain, mic drop, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> destroy the podcast market. Yeah. It's because you have break some, the break the internet. It's because you're trying to articulate something. And so that essay definitely inspired me. She was, you know, the first guest, I suppose. And then, and then based on that, I think for me, I found that both the rest of the, of the conversations were so informed by that idea of the portal. I was asking each of my guests what they were leaving behind and what they were carrying along to the future. And I, I don't know, I think that's been the idea that's been on my mind throughout. And now it's like almost, you know, I wrote the other day, I was like, COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-2021. I feel like it's just gonna be like 
this isn't going away necessarily. And maybe now it's time to really just remember that we are, we're through the portal, we're in the portal, and we still have a chance to make those choices. Yeah, we're still, we're not post-pandemic. We are still in pandemic, mid-pandemic. I asked this question to all of my guests and I'm so excited. I just thought about how excited I am to ask you about this because the great thing about us is not only our friendship. I mean, Bilal is my other husband. (laughs) You guys have to know this. He's not just my best friend. He is my intellectual soulmate, my other husband, and my other real husband knows this too. But I want to ask you because we are both kind of in the business of telling stories just in different ways, real stories, imagined stories, other people's stories. What inspires you to do the work that you do? Mm. I want to just briefly say also that I can't believe that your other husband, me, is like currently in your house and your other husband <laughs> is like there. It feels all very it like... It feels all very... It um, feels all very like... Some, yeah, some kind <laughs> of... Sister-wise Some kind of like explicit open cheating no, situation. It's not, um, it's not no, it's not that exciting. Um, it's very clean, all of it. It's very Papa John's, literally. Yeah. Um, what inspires me? You know, I, I, think, I think what inspires me is always other great writing and other great work. And that sounds like such a kind of maybe cop-out answer, but it's that, it's that feeling that, I don't know, I, I, the other day, this is like going to sound maybe a little cheesy, but I had to go to an advanced screening of the new Aretha Franklin movie that's just coming out with Jennifer Hudson. And, you know, the movie's actually, I actually would recommend it to people. But what I remember, you know, is an idea that comes up a lot and with her, of course, Queen of Soul, right? And, I, and then I kept thinking about the idea of like soul. We talk about soul music, but I also like to think about that term more broadly in like, you know, soul writing, soul buildings, soul, like, I don't know, food. Soul food. Soul food, yeah. but like anything that, and, and I don't mean that. And I don't mean just in terms of like, you know, I think we have so associated in this country with, with being only black creativity, maybe. But I, but I think when thought of more broadly, too, it's, it's any work that just feels like it, it just feels like it's infused with somebody's truth and all of their passion. And I think what inspires me, you know, it's like it's inspiring to see somebody like Jennifer Hudson find a performance like that to pour a role role like that to be able to put all of her gifts into it's inspiring to read someone like Arnthati Roy write about something that she's uniquely gifted to do it's inspiring to see you being someone who has experienced what you've experienced as a mother um, to put that work into a book that is a reflection of your soul or or what really matters to you so I think I I mean again as I said sorry to, to sound sort of like you know cheesy but but I think what it always inspires me is I feel like one is muddling along and you're kind of dragging along day through day to day mostly encountering soulless stuff and and then one day or one minute you hear something you see something you read something and it it kind of you know jolts you awake I think that's what inspires me and I think it's the pursuit of that's why I think as a critic or as a as a reporter as an editor um, I, I love the chance to talk about work that's had that effect for me and, and interview people like that, mm-hmm. but also to try to make things that, that feel soulful for me, you know, that, that feel like they're inspired by what I can bring. And, and I think anybody else doing work that feels like soul work mm-hmm. inspires me. Oh, I love that. You know what it is? It's something genuine and authentic. 
And you want to talk about cheesy. Let me tell you something cheesy. It's very hard to be genuine and authentic because as you will see, my dear listeners, moving along in life, people will always tell you to be different. So it's actually very hard to stay and be yourself. So I think that when you see that or recognize that in someone's work or their art or their vision, you people people respond. Something very interesting I think about TV, uh, you know, a reflection that I had is that so much of it is so fake and none of it is how it appears. You know, there's like a stage, there's so much makeup, but you know, you're like taped up with all this stuff. But despite all the fakeness in the back, audiences can recognize when you're being fake. You have to be really real. And if you're not being real, you have to be acting like it. So the reason we respond to that is because people, you can't BS people. I've really seen this with like the good work. People can pick up when you're not, when you're not the real deal, when you're the fake Louis Vuitton. <laughs> from the real one. This has been such a great conversation. You guys don't know how much I love Bilal and what an important friendship this is in my life. I always say I'm a UVA fanatic, but a lot of it is because of the people that I met there, including Shireen and Bilal and Ryan and my closest, closest friends. And I just want to say thank you for keeping me real. As cheesy as that is, you really keep me real. And I love you so much. I'm so happy we had Papa John's together today because that's all we could afford when we were at UVA. That was actually the fancy pizza. Gumby's was the one that they dug their nails in the, in the crust, for sure. I, I'm also just wanting, I'm also just so grateful that our last conversation, which was crazily the inaugural episode of Spilling Chai, was also in person. And we didn't do this over Zoom. We did it in person. And so here's to vaccinations and to 2020. And here's to 2021. And thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an honor. And congratulations on Spilling Chai. Thank you so much, you guys. I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much, Bilal. It is with a heart full of melancholy that I close the show today, my dear, dear listeners. Doing this podcast is truly one of my favorite projects, and I am so proud of this show. We launched it mid-pandemic, <laughs> and it really had very little chances of surviving, let alone thriving. But as many of you may or may not know, but I hope you do know, <laughs> my first book, The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kills Women, is being released October 12th and is available for pre-order now <laughs> from Simon & Schuster. Writing a book has been one of my biggest dreams and in preparation and anticipation of its release, Spilling Chai will be going on hiatus until 2022. I want to thank all of our loyal listeners and I also want to thank my tiny but mighty Spilling Chai team, my producer Jack, who is amazing, and my amazing social media guru, Annie. We will see you all very soon. And until next year, let's keep spilling the chai.